Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Port St. Lucie. Let's join the pastor, Mike Wiggins, for part two of Spiritual Gifts. All right. Well, probably like most of you, when I was growing up, my favorite time of the year was Christmas. I mean, by far, I loved Christmas the best. And so when I was a kid, um, what we would do is we would go to midnight mass. And then after midnight mass, we would go as a family to the Pancake House there in Tampa on Del Mabry Highway, just south of Tampa Stadium. And by the way, the Pancake House, every Christmas Eve, stayed open all night for all the Catholics in town. And so we would go to mass, then we would go to the Pancake House. And so I enjoyed at church as a kid hearing about the birth of Jesus and I enjoyed um, eating pancakes with my family and friends at the pancake house afterwards. But as a little kid on Christmas morning, what do you think I looked forward to the most? Right? The same thing you. Don't look at me like you're all so spiritual. I, we all looked forward as kids to the opening of our presents. And so our family tradition was you know, we would open gifts around 3 a.m. Christmas morning. And so after midnight mass and after the pancake house, we'd all go home and we'd put our pajamas on. I still remember my Dallas Cowboy PJs that I would put on. I still remember, um, yes, and then in 1976, the Bucks became a team and I switched. So I'm a trader. And then I remember the, the silver tree in our home. And I remember our family gathering around the tree. And I was, as a kid, I was giddy with excitement. Now, I am so grateful for parents that even though we were far from rich growing up, my parents saved and they sacrificed and they, they made sure that me and my two older brothers always had some really cool gifts every Christmas morning. You may be thinking, well, what in the world does that have to do with our message today? Well, just as we as parents love to give gifts to our kids, so we have a heavenly father a great dad in heaven who loves to give spiritual gifts to his kids, the gifts of the Spirit. The question I have for you today, and I'll ask you now, and I already asked myself this question, and that is this. Are we as excited about receiving the spiritual gifts from our heavenly Father as we were excited as little kids to get presents on Christmas morning? Because the fact of the matter is, as much as we enjoyed Christmas, those gifts that we had under the tree, they lasted, what, three, four, five years. Then they ended up in the attic. Then they ended up, you know, at, at goodwill. But the gifts of the Spirit, man, they last a lifetime. And the gifts of the Spirit are absolutely priceless. So what you need to know as a Christian, if you are a Christian, if you have bowed your knee to the lordship of Christ in your life, if you have received him as your savior, if you're a Christian, you have a really great dad and he's got some really cool gifts for you. We're gonna define the spiritual gifts, as I said earlier. Uh, today, we're gonna be in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So we're gonna look at those gifts. Next week, we're gonna be in Romans chapter 12. We're gonna look at those gifts. And during these two weeks, I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to be prayerful about what gifts God has given to you, maybe what, some, what, what gifts he wants to give to you, 
And then I want you to get excited about using those gifts in the service of our king. And so check out now Romans chapter 12. We'll start again in verse 7. I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7. Paul writes to the church at Corinth. But the manifestation, remember the word manifestation means shining forth. But the shining forth of the Spirit is given to, what's the next two words? Each one. As I said last week, part of the bad English, that means all y'all. Everybody, none of us are exempt. It's not just the pastor who's got some gifts, it's everybody. But the shining forth of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. Verse 8, for to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit. If you're taking notes, here's your first gift. Here's the definition. The gift of the word of wisdom is a divine enablement. You're going to see as we define each of the gifts today and next week, it always starts with the same three words, a divine enablement. As we said last week, these are not human talents. It's not your charisma or my charisma or whatever. This, this is God's gifts. So the word of wisdom is a divine enablement to know and to speak just the right words in a particular situation. The gift of the word of wisdom from the Spirit to us, each one. If you have this gift, and we're going to find out later on that as we go through uh, 1 Corinthians, not, not everybody has the same gift, okay? The Spirit divides severally as he wills. But if you have this gift, then what, what the Holy Spirit will enable you to do is to say just the right word at just the right time. Now, for all these gifts, there's lots of different biblical examples, and I don't have lots of time, okay? And so um, my, one of my favorite parts of the scriptures that shows this gift displayed is in, you don't have to turn there, but Luke chapter 20, I'll just tell you the story. In the first century, you had the, the religious leaders, and the religious leaders absolutely, most of them, absolutely hated Jesus. They hated Jesus, and they were jealous of Jesus. This is because the crowds were leaving their ministry and going and following Jesus. And they didn't like some hillbilly from Galilee stealing all their people, right? So they were mad, they were upset, and they, what they would try to do, they would follow Jesus around, and they would try to trip him up in his words. These religious leaders would actually plant spies into crowds that Jesus was addressing, and the spies would try to ask tough questions to try to get Jesus off balance. But how many of you guys know Jesus cannot be off balance, right? And so in one particular situation in Luke chapter 20, Somebody spoke up from the crowd. It was an implanted spy. And he said, Rabbi, is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Now, what you got to understand is that in the first century and in Israel, that was a loaded question. The reason why is because the Jews of that day were under the bondage of the Roman Empire and they hated it. 
And so the, the religious leaders knew that no matter how Jesus answered this question, he was going to be in big trouble with somebody. It's kind of like you're damned if you do or you're damned if you don't. And so if Jesus would have said to this Jewish crowd, first century, under Roman domination, if he would have said, no, you should not pay your taxes to Caesar, then the religious leaders would have went over to the local centurion and they would have turned Jesus in for tax evasion and insurrection. But if Jesus were to say, yes, you should pay taxes to Rome, then you have another group called the Zealots and any Jew who hated being under the bondage of Rome, and they would say, man, how can this guy be our Messiah? When the Messiah comes, he's going to deliver us from Rome. He's not going to tell us to support them. And so everybody was waiting for the Lord's answer. The spies were thinking, we finally got him. We're going to make him look like a fool. And you could hear a pin drop as everybody's waiting for the Lord's answer. Jesus says, anybody got a coin? He takes a coin. He says, whose inscription is on this coin? And they said, Caesar's. Jesus says, render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. What an awesome answer, right? What an incredible answer, right? The spies who thought they were going to make Jesus look like a fool, well, who's the fool now? And on that day, here's what happened. Jesus received from the Holy Spirit a divine enablement to know and speak just the right words in a particular situation. And I know some of you no doubt are thinking right now, well, of course, Pastor Mike, he was God. Well, yes, I would agree with you 110%, he was God. But what you have to understand is that in the miracle of the incarnation, when God wrapped himself in human flesh, that Jesus, Philippians chapter two, if you're, if you're with me, can you say amen here? Don't miss this. you got to get this. That Jesus, Philippians chapter 2, emptied himself. He did not empty himself of the divine nature. He never ceased being God, but he emptied himself of the divine prerogatives. And as a man, he was completely relying on the Holy Spirit in his life. And something also that's really important that you get is that at the ascension, Jesus went up and the Spirit came down. And so all the gifts of the Spirit flowed through Jesus through his incarnate body. But when he went up and the Spirit came down, now all the gifts are displayed through Christ's corporate body, and that means you, and that means me. So we gotta know what the gifts are. We gotta be on our knees asking God, what are the gifts you've given to me? Don't meet Jesus eyeball to eyeball, the judgment seat of Christ, not having a clue what your spiritual gift is. Find out, he wants you to know what parent hides the gift from their kid on Christmas. No, we're like, open it, isn't it great? Man, we feel so good. That's how God feels about the spiritual gifts. He's not hiding anything from you, but you gotta seek him. And so know what your gifts are because the gifts are displayed through Christ's corporate body and that's the church. That means from time to time, the Spirit may give you a word of wisdom. Jump down to verse 11 really quick. 
1 Corinthians 12, 11. He says, but one and the same spirit works all these things. This is the gifts of the spirit. Distributing to, what's the next two words? Each one individually as he wills. Not as we will, but as he wills. That means that you might be in a situation where you're talking to someone, you're, you're sharing advice with somebody, or maybe they're asking you for some help. Or you may be teaching a class in the Shine Children's Ministry. Or you may be helping some couple through a, a shaky marriage where they're getting ready to, to, to get a divorce. Or you, you might, around the break room table at work, someone gives you a difficult uh, question. Whatever the scenario might be. And you will find all of a sudden in your head you have some knowledge <laughs> and you will share that word and it'll be just the right word at just the right time and you'll think, where in the world did that come from? It comes from him. And people are helped when we're full of the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of God is working his gifts through the people of God. Word of wisdom. Next gift, if you're taking notes, word of knowledge. Similar, but not quite the same. The gift of the word of knowledge is a divine enablement to know something that you could not know naturally. Something that you could not know naturally. Again, lots of places in the Bible. My favorite, John chapter four. You don't have to turn there. Here's Jesus He's sitting at the well there in Samaria, Jacob's well, and he begins to talk to the Samaritan woman. He's witnessing to the Samaritan woman. I love the fact that Jesus always walked outside of the norm. That's because Jewish men didn't talk to Samaritan women in those days. They didn't talk to Samaritans at all. They avoided them completely. But Jesus loved this woman. He's witnessing to her. While he's witnessing to her, he says, can you go get your husband? You remember what she said? She goes, I don't have a husband. And Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband. But in the past, you've had five husbands, and the guy you're living with now is not your husband. And all of a sudden, this woman is shocked. And she's thinking, how in the world did he, does he know details about my personal life? And all she knows to say is, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. And the Lord continues to share with her. And by the end of the conversation, she realizes that he's much more than a prophet. In fact, he's the Messiah who's come to give living water. And she receives him as her Messiah, as, as does most of the village where she comes from. What happened on that day? On that day, Jesus, the incarnate Jesus, God in the flesh, who is completely as a man, relying on the Holy Spirit, he received a divine enablement to know something about that woman that he could not know naturally. And so, of course, now the gifts are not displayed through the incarnate body of Christ. They're displayed through the corporate body of Christ, the church. Not everybody has the same gift, but God may give you that gift. 
And you may find yourself in a conversation. You may find yourself, again, helping somebody. You may find yourself teaching a class. You may find yourself around the break room table, across the fence with a neighbor, and all of a sudden, in your mind, there will be a fact about that person that you have no idea where it came from. And there's no way that you could have known what you know naturally. And in the right ways, you've got to be filled with the Spirit. You've got to have that person's best interest in mind. And when you share that fact with that person, all of a sudden, just like the woman at the well, they're going to think, has this guy been talking to my husband? Has this guy been, or this girl been reading my diary? And when they find out that you have not been talking to anybody and you have not read anything, then they're going to realize that God is at work in this conversation, and maybe I better ha hear what this person has to say about the Lord Jesus Christ. And I've had this happen in counseling sessions before, and I just want to encourage you about something before we move on to the next gift. What I want to encourage you about is that if from time to time the Lord gives you this gift, here's what you need to do. Is everybody looking at me right now? Here's what you need to do. Zip your lip. You can talk to that one person privately, but you need to keep it confidential. Do not, do not, do not go around to other people because inside of your heart you want people to think you're some spiritual giant. Don't go and brag about something that God did. You didn't do it. Why are you bragging about it? And why in the world are you sharing confidential information with somebody else? And so zip your lips. Respect their privacy. How do you guys understand that people can have the gifts of the Spirit and they can have a little tiny bit of character and that's a recipe for disaster? I'd rather have people have a ton of character and not many spiritual gifts in the church. And by the way, all the gifts are for today. You say, but that, that, does that really happen? Yeah, Amen. it absolutely happens. The question is not whether it happens. The question is, are you open to letting the Spirit flow through your life. The next gift listed in verse 9 is the gift of faith. This is the gift we'll spend the most time on today. The gift of faith is a divine enablement to trust God for something he has said he will do. Now that's really important that you get the last sentence of that definition. If you know me by now, you know I have no time for the word of faith doctrine. If you know me by now, you know I have no time for the health, wealth, prosperity gospel. If you know me by now, you know I have no time for the name it and claim it false doctrine. And the reason I come out so strongly about that is because, ladies and gentlemen, here's what's being taught in error. What's being taught in error in churches all over America is that you can name it whatever you want, you can claim it and have faith, and God will do it. No. No. You know what you need to do? You need to get on your knees and find out what God is saying. And then what God says, then you get up, and then he'll do what he has said he will do. You need to hear from God. What's so sad in the church today is people are naming and claiming all kind of, of uh, material things. Bigger bank accounts, bigger houses, bigger cars. It's all of the flesh. And then when God doesn't do what they named it and claimed it, they're all disillusioned with Christianity. It's not Christianity. 
Christianity is what John says. If, 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 we, that, that, that if we are going to the Lord in prayer and he reveals to us through prayer what his will is, here it is, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Not our will, but his will be done. And so faith is a divine enablement to trust God for something that he has said he will do. And one of my favorite passages in the Bible that has to do with this is Matthew chapter 14. Again, you don't have to turn there. I'll just tell you the story. But you remember the disciples are crossing the Sea of Galilee in the middle of the night. And in the middle of the night, all of a sudden, a storm sweeps down on the Sea of Galilee. And these strong winds are blowing and beating against, tossing them around like a rag doll on the Sea of Galilee. And they were really afraid. And the re reason they were really afraid, there's got to be at least three reasons, right? Number one, it was the middle of the night. I mean, I'm afraid on a boat in the middle of the night when it's calm seas. Number two, it's a really bad storm. And they think they're going to die. And if you ever go with us, to Israel. We're going in March of 2017. This will be my third trip. We'll take you out on a boat. We'll talk about the Sea of Galilee stories. We'll even have time because we stay in a kibbutz on the Sea of Galilee to go swim in the Sea of Galilee. It's just an awesome time. But it's the middle of the night. It's a bad storm. And to really cause them to have a lot of fear, all of a sudden when their eyes adjust to the darkness, they see a man walking on the water. And now the Bible says they're, they're crying out like a bunch of big babies in the boat. They're screaming, right? And I don't want to be hard on the disciples because I'd probably be screaming too. And all of a sudden, this man, capital M, stops. He looks and he says to them, be a good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. And right now, that's a word of the Lord for some of you. Because right now, some of you are going through a really bad storm a really difficult situation in your life, and you are freaking out. Hear the word of the Lord. Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. That's what some of you guys need to hear. Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. And all of a sudden, Peter says, of course, impetuous Peter, right? Lord, if that's really you, Call me to come to you. And Jesus said, come. There's the word. God has said he's going to do something. There's the word of the Lord. Come. Anybody who gets out of the boat when Jesus is not saying come is a fool. But Jesus said, come. And right then at that moment, God, the Spirit, gave Peter a divine enablement to trust Christ to do something he said he would do. And he gets out of the boat and Peter begins to do the impossible. Why? Faith. Faith. And you know the story, as long as he kept his eyes on Jesus, he was above the water, he was fine. But as soon as he took his eyes off of Jesus and put him on the storm, he began to sink. Some of you guys are going through a difficult time right now. You're, you're, you're enduring a storm. Jesus is saying, be of good cheer, it's I. Hey, don't be afraid. Keep your eyes on me. Stop looking at the problem. Stop looking at all the disaster of what's going on in your life. Get your eyes off of that. Put them on me and just trust me. 
And as I said to the 32 people who were baptized yesterday, the Lord never promised to keep you out of the storm. He promised to be with you in the storm. He's with us. He's there. Be of good cheer. Don't be doubting. Be believing. And so, man, what we saw in the scriptures in Matthew chapter 14 is the gift of faith. As long as Peter kept his eyes on Jesus, he could do the impossible. As I said earlier in the big announcement, last year was an exciting year uh, for our church because it was last year the Lord, again, opened up the door for us to be able to move from a very small facility to a much larger campus so that we could continue to grow. And it was July 13th of last year that I stood before those of you who were with us over in the the Peacock building, and I told you about this opportunity that we have this door that's open, that the Lord is opening for us to move. And we gave ourselves, do you remember this? 11 weeks to raise money for our down payment. It was called the Now is the Time campaign. And every Sunday I would go before you and I would show you what the Lord was doing each and every week. You see, the owner was selling this property, if you're new to Calvary, he was selling this property for $2.2 million dollars. And we needed 25% of that for our down payment. That's $550,000. We had $250,000 in the bank. We were short $300,000. How many of you guys understand that's a lot of money? Okay, so 11 weeks, we began to pray. We began to trust God. And every Sunday, as I said, we would show. And halfway through that campaign, on August the 18th, we had a board meeting. And in the board meeting, the board said, I want you guys to set a closing date. But there's a big problem. We were nowhere near our goal of $300,000. But you know what they said? Set the closing date. Now, in the natural, that doesn't make sense. But you know what they encouraged us to do in that board meeting? To have faith. Because where God guides, he provides And we got down to the last week, the 11th week. We still needed $56,000. This is above regular giving. We still needed $56,000 to be able to close on September the 22nd. Guess how much money came in that last week? $70,000 above regular giving. Way enough to be able to close. And on September 22nd, we closed. It's a God story. Who gets the glory for that? The Lord. The Lord gets the glory for that because it's what, it's what he did through us. And by the way, he loves it when we give glory to him for what he's done. About nine years ago, the Lord so clearly spoke to my heart about a future Christian school. Nine years ago. And so in, week, in, in, in year three, nothing happens. Year four, nothing happens. Year five, nothing happens. Six, seven, eight, nine, nothing happens. And I stand before you today with God as my witness that not once in the last nine years have I ever once doubted that someday we would have a Christian school. Why? Because God's given me a divine enablement to trust him for something he said he would do. And so now, last year, we get this property. Now, 11 days ago, we get this property. And now the Lord's moving, and now the Lord Lord is working. 
Why? Because where God guides, he provides. Okay, what does that mean for you? That means that sometimes the Lord's going to give you this gift of faith. He's going to, in prayer, he's going to reveal something that he wants to do. Listen, if that's you, don't sit in the boat. Stop sitting in the boat. I know it's safe in the boat. I know you feel safe in the boat, but you're actually safer out on the water than you are in the boat if God says, come. And so have faith, get out of the boat, and do what God has called you to do. But there will be obstacles, yes. Will there be storms? Yes. Will there be opposition? Yes. That just makes God get more glory at the end of the day. Because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Now, the next two gifts, for the sake of time, I combine them. So if you're taking notes, here's the next two gifts. It's the gift of healings and miracles. Healings and miracles. These are divine enablements to trust God to work in a way that is supernatural. And they're for the church today. Now, are, are these gifts and other gifts faked? Yes. Are they abused? Yes. But you know what's so sad is that a lot of churches in America and around the world, because some of these gifts of the Spirit are faked and abused, they say, I don't want anything to do with that. And so they go way over here and they come up with some man-made doctrine that some of the gifts have passed off. And you know what? The Spirit is quenched in those churches. And the Holy Spirit cannot move as he wants to move in those churches. What you and I have got to understand is that all of the gifts are for today, even those gifts. Because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so one of my favorite places where, in the Bible where this, these two gifts combined into one is in Acts chapter 3. So Peter and John are walking towards the temple for a time of prayer. And as they're on their way, you remember there's a lame man. He's been, the Bible says he was lame since birth. He never took one step in his whole life. And he's there, and he's a beggar. And so he sees Peter and John, and he asks them for money. And right then, I really believe that the Lord was working in Peter's heart in his life. And Peter knew God was ready to do something supernatural. And so Peter says to him, silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And he grabbed the guy and he picked him up. And the guy not only started to walk, he began to leap. And he began to praise God for his gifts of healings and his gift of miracles. It's the gifts, by the way, plural, of healings. But you got to understand that even though Peter had this gift, it wasn't a reservoir that he could tap into whenever he wanted to heal somebody. And this is the error that's taught in churches today by some churches that try to say that some of the gifts have passed off. They'll say, if the gift of healing is really for today, then the faith healers should go to the hospitals and heal everybody in the hospitals. Guess what? It's not how it happened in the Bible. How do you know? Because I know in Jerusalem in that day, there's lots of lame people laying around. There's lots of sick people in that day. But on that day, 
the Lord worked through Peter for one guy at the beautiful gate, and that's the guy who was healed. There was times in Jesus' ministry when he would heal everybody, but there's other times in John chapter 5 at the pool of Bethesda where Jesus literally walks over a crowd of sick, lame, and diseased people to heal one guy. The apostle Paul had gifts of healings, but Paul couldn't tap into that gift whenever he wanted to heal anybody. It says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 20, Paul says to Timothy, Trophimus, that's a guy with a weird name, Trophimus, I have left in the city of Miletus sick. Trophimus is not going to be joining us, Timothy. Why? He's sick. Okay, why, why don't you use your gifts of healing, Paul, to heal him? Well, obviously, it wasn't the Lord's will in that situation. Ladies and gentlemen, what we got to understand is that the Lord doesn't heal everybody all the time. Do you know where the ultimate healing is going to take place for all of us? When we see Jesus Christ in glory, then we'll all be healed forever and ever and ever. And so make sure you're rightly dividing the word of truth. I don't have time to get into, I know there's a deep discussion of all these gifts, and I don't have time to get into all of it, so I want to recommend a book for you. It's called Living Water. It's by Pastor Chuck Smith, who is now in heaven, the pastor of the first Calvary Chapel. It's a great reference guide. You don't have to read it cover to cover if you don't want to, but the first section is about the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. The second uh, section is about the gifts of the Spirit. The third section, which I really love and appreciate, is, is he talks about the filling or the baptism with the Holy Spirit. What does that mean biblically? And so in this book, Concerning the Gift of Healing, the gifts of healings. This is what he says. If, you, if you're listening right now, can you say amen? amen? Don't miss this. He said, and I quote, after a Sunday morning service, some young people wheeled their grandfather up the aisle to where I was standing. They asked me to pray for him. Since he was in a wheelchair, I assumed they wanted him healed so he could walk. So I prayed, Lord, you are a great God. You can do anything. It's nothing for you to help, whether we are weak or strong. Help us, Lord. We ask now that you would touch this man and that you would heal him. I pray in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, the name above all names. And then Pastor Chuck writes, while I was praying, I had a very strong urge to lift the man up out of his wheelchair and to command him to walk. Now I admit, and I love this about this man, this is why, this is the most humble man you would ever meet in your entire life. And he says, now I admit that I had an argument with the Lord. I thought, Lord, is that you telling me to do this? Is it really you? And I hesitated. I was uncertain. I don't normally go around lifting people out of wheelchairs. Yet it was such a strong impression, I finally did it. The Lord gave me the faith to ask that man to be healed and then command him to walk. And when I said amen, I lifted the man to his feet and said, now in the name of Jesus, walk. And the man began to walk, much to my great relief. <laughs> he walked up the aisle and then trotted back. His grandfather kids got so excited they were almost doing handstands. They exclaimed, oh, 
He had a cold. And he wanted you to pray that God would heal his cold. He hasn't walked in over five years. I was glad, Pastor Chuck says, that they hadn't told me that before. And I thought, why weren't you more specific? And then he goes in, I won't take the time to read it, he goes into another story. The very next week, same situation, different person, a lady had a stroke, her husband's wheeling her up to him for prayer. And guess what? The husband ends up wheeling her back. She's not healed. You say, Pastor Mike, why'd you have to include that story? Because that's what the Bible teaches. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, I will never be part of the camp in the church that says that it's always God's will to heal everybody. And if you're not healed, then you don't have enough faith. That's abuse. But I will also refuse to be a part of churches like I used to be a part of that says that some of these gifts have passed off the scene and limit the Holy Spirit's work in the church. Both are wrong. And we need a biblical view of the gifts. And we need to be open to whatever the Holy Spirit wants to do here at Calvary Poor St. Lucie. The next gift, if you're taking notes, is prophecy. What is prophecy? It's a divine enablement to speak forth God's word, to edify, exhort, and comfort others. You say, where do you get that from? 1 Corinthians 14, 3. A divine enablement to speak forth God's word, to edify, exhort, and comfort others. Now, prophecy does have a foretelling aspect to it every once in a while. What I mean by that is that sometimes um, the Lord will give a divine enablement through prophecy to someone to, to make a prophecy about the future, a foretelling of the future. Agabus, Acts chapter 11, is a New Testament example of that. This guy stands up in the middle of a gathering of Christians. He says that God's going to send a severe famine throughout the world. And sure enough, later in history, under the reign of Claudius Caesar, there's a great famine throughout the whole world. So sometimes it has a foretelling aspect to it. But the primary way it's used in the church, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 3, it's not so much the foretelling, that happens, but it's primarily the forthtelling of God's word for the edification, exhortation, and comfort of people. Sometimes when I'm teaching, I'll leave my notes and I'll begin to preach. And I can't explain it to you guys, but it's like I go to another level and I start to say things that they don't come from me. By the way, they always line up with the word of God. If it doesn't, it's not, it's not a new revelation. If it contradicts the word of God, then do me a favor, dismiss me as your pastor because everything's got to line up with the word of God. But what I'm saying is that while I'm teaching, sometimes I'll begin to preach. There's like another level and the spirits, sometimes I could feel the spirit flowing through me like, like electricity doesn't always happen that way, but sometimes it does. And what I know in those situations is that people are being edified, people are being exhorted, people are being comforted. The Spirit's working in a different way. The Spirit was working through teaching. Nothing wrong with teaching. That's a spiritual gift. Jesus said, Peter, feed my sheep. Right? But when 
someone starts to preach, what happens is that the spirit in the middle of a sermon will begin to work in a different way. And now it's prophecy. Now it's the fourth telling of the word of God for the edification, exhortation, and comfort of people. And it's a beautiful thing when it happens, but it's not just for preachers. In the New Testament, there's men and women who prophesy. Men and women. And so, ladies, don't think that you're like second-class citizens in the church. Right? Now, we'll get to 1 Corinthians 14, and we'll talk about the biblical parameters of, of, of all of that. But what you need to know for right now is that it's not just when you address large crowds. Sometimes it's when you address one person. And the Spirit's flowing through you, and you're foretelling, and you're edifying. Sometimes it's, it's, you're, you're with the children, and you're teaching a class. Sometimes you're around, again, the break room table at work or whatever it might be or over the fence of your neighbor. But be open to the Holy Spirit. Ladies and gentlemen, some of you are walking the, the Christian life in your flesh. And it's like you got, this is, there's a nut and you're trying to unscrew the nut with your fingers. And it's not budging and you're bleeding all over the place. And the Holy Spirit says, here, take a ratchet. <laughs> I'll help you do it. It's easy, but let me flow. Get out of my way and let me do what I want to do in the church and let him have the glory for it. Are you open to what he wants to do? And so the last gift we're going to look at now is the discerning of spirits. There are tongues and interpretation of tongues in this list, but we're going to get to 1 Corinthians 14. And we're going to talk all, the whole message will be on that. So the last gift today is discerning of spirits. And that is a divine enablement to sense that something is wrong. Some of you right now are saying, I have this gift. I feel this all the time. A divine enablement to sense that something is wrong and to distinguish between the truth and a lie. Again, all over the scriptures, all over the church. One example I'll give you is Acts 13. Paul and Barnabas, first missionary journey, they're on their way to Cyprus. They land on that beautiful island. They begin to share the word of God. They make, all, make it all the way to Paphos, and that's when they hit resistance. What you need to know as you begin to step up by faith and allow the Lord to flow through you and you begin to minister to people, listen, there's going to be opposition. Don't, like, put your tail between your legs and go run off in a corner. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world, right? Just keep, keep walking with the Lord, walking in the Spirit. Keep, keep ministering. There's going to be opposition. People are not going to like you. And so Paul's witnessing to the Roman governor of that area. Sergius Paulus, a very intelligent man, the Bible says. Paul was a very intelligent man too, but the Lord, he had an advantage. The Lord's working through him. And as he's sharing the gospel of Christ, there's another Jewish man there. Some Jews accept Jesus as Messiah, some don't. And this other Jewish man begins to interrupt and make a scene and try to uh, pull the, the, the Roman governor away from the witness that Paul's giving to Sergius Paulus. And Paul sensed that something's wrong. <laughs> and he began to distinguish. Later on, we find out that this, this man was a Jewish occult practitioner named Bar Jesus. 
He's all wrong religiously and doctrinally. And Paul looks him in the eye in Acts chapter 13 and rebukes this guy. And the guy becomes blind for a season and Sergius Paulus becomes a lifelong follower of Jesus Christ. And I'm so glad, listen, listen, listen. I'm so glad that on that day, Paul didn't look at Bar-Jesus and said, okay, brother, you know, you believe what you want to believe and I'll believe what I want to believe. I'm not going to begin to, I'm not going to continue to take a stand. I'm not going to continue to tell this man that Jesus Christ is the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father but through Jesus. I, that's, I'm going to stop being so religiously intolerant and, you know, we're just going to do the whole um, synchronism thing and we'll hold hands and we'll walk off into the sunset together and we'll coexist. I am so glad that Paul didn't say that and let the whole world go to hell. The apostle Paul took a stand for the truth and he told this guy the truth and it was the exact opposite of what Bar Jesus was saying who was saying there's other ways to get to God. And you can send me all the hateful emails you want to send me. You can yell at me at the Welcome Center, but I will never change my message that Jesus Christ is the only way to the Lord. The only way. And I do that out of a heart of love. People send me emails. I'm disgusted by your preaching. You're so religiously intolerant. I'm doing it to save your life. If you'll just be open, who else shed their blood on a cross for you? Did Buddha, did Mohammed, did the Dalai Lama, did any of those guys come down and shed their blood on a cross? Without the remission of, uh, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. There's one way. And if we, if we as the church keep our mouth shut and we do the whole synchronism thing, the whole world's going to go to hell. And I don't want to be accountable for that. And so all of us, in love, yes, in love, but all of us need to stand up and start speaking out like the Apostle Paul did on that day. And sometimes the Lord will give you discerning of spirits. Sometimes he'll give you words of wisdom. Listen, sometimes he, gives, he will give you gifts when you're born again, but sometimes other gifts just come and go as he, as he pleases. Are you open to the gifts of the Spirit? One of the greatest gifts God can give His children is the assurance of their salvation. If you're not sure where you stand with God, we want to help. Visit our website at www.calvarypsl.com and click on Knowing Christ.